the many opinions out there about who God is or what God is like. Just, just a phrase or a word. Just throw some out there. What's God like? Say it again. Okay, good. What else? Awesome. Love. Good. Faithful. Good, omnipotent. Think, think about the world, though. Unfair. Yeah, I mean, that's a... That's a huge one. There's a lot of people who, that's, that's a common complaint, isn't it? God, somehow been unfair. All you got to do is have somebody get sick, grow up in a church and hear preaching, and then all of a sudden you get sick, you get a disease, and wow, God's not fair, is he? Faithful, good. What else? Jealous. Some people think that there are many gods, right? Vengeful. Sure. Judging. Yeah, vengeful and judging go together very well, don't they? Wrath. Yeah, wrath. Wow, you guys are all headed in one direction now. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, killer, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, okay, good. Yeah, God-man, okay. Just, that he is just. So you got vengeful God or wrathful God, and you have the idea of the just God, so God is doing something for certain reasons, for certain purposes, for rightness and wrongness. What other opinions are out there about God? He's a myth. Yeah, a, a fable, right? A fairy tale. It's, it's something we tell our kids to keep them from doing bad things. It's like the boogeyman. You know what? You don't, you don't obey your mom and dad. Right? The Bible also considered God's word as um, the age of reason, the dawn of reason. So there's, there's this. Okay, so, so maybe because we're in the age of reason, people are kind of, the word that people use is demystification. Okay, now there's no more mystery out there anymore. We don't just look out in the sky and see a comet and go, oh no, what's happening? We don't see the northern lights and say, oh, somebody's, you know, there's a God out there who's coming and bringing, so what have, we, what have we done? Let's hurry up and sacrifice one of our children. You know? We're not, most of us, most of us are, I mean, there are places in the world where that still happens. It's not, it's not so much happening here in the sense that it happens around the world, but we do much the same, don't we? Don't we have our own gods? Don't we have our own gods and sacrifice our children to those ideas of God? Child sacrifice isn't over in America. It's just a different kind of sacrifice. Now it's the God of job or money or achievement or success. Now it's the God of a bigger house. Ouch. Materialism, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, material things can be a God, right? So no matter if somebody says, hey, I don't, I don't there's, there's atheism, right? It says we, we believe there is no God. You have an agnosticism that says there, there may be a God out there, but I don't, it's, it, you're basically an atheist who says, if God came and spoke to me, then maybe I'd believe he's God. God did come and speak, but people still don't believe, right? You know, it's a, it's a part of it. But some of these are honest. Uh, um, people are, as, as best as they know and with the background they have and the upbringing they have, you grew up in different cultures and different kinds of families, you're going to have all kinds of different opinions about God. Am I right? 
Some of you were born into families in which you have heard different things about the God that maybe you currently say you believe in. And so a part of what we're going to do for the next four weeks, is we're going to talk about who God is, what he's done, and then in light of that, who we are and what we were created to do, who we were created to be. Because I think all of us would agree we're none of us, as, as best as we try, with as much work as we put in and as much thinking maybe we give to it or maybe we don't give a whole lot of thinking to it, but we, we somehow know something's not right. Like the world should be different. What's the big news lately over the last week? What's the, what's the, what's the big stuff going on? Uh, end of the world? Yeah. <laughs> what? There, there's something there's something specific. <laughs> People can't buy large sodas. <laughs> That's big news in New York. Yes, it is. <laughs> what? Zombies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. It's got 18 voices at once. Let's bring it back together. Somebody, you, have you heard the story of? The guy, some pathway, and he's taken some new type of LSD. What do they call it? Bath salts. When I first heard that, I was like, what are people doing with bath salts? And why is a guy bathing in bath salts, right? <laughs> Didn't that seem weird? And then all of a sudden you realized it was a code name for a type of new type of drug that's causing people to go into this frenzy. And for, for, the, for the world, and I won't get into the gruesome details, but it has to do with um, feeding on things that we should not be feeding upon, okay? Um, okay? Just leave it, leave it there so the kids can't maybe figure it all out. But it's causing these people to do these crazy things. I mean, just act like animals and act um, in these crazy ways. And so, the, uh, you know, this is where you start getting like, what's happening? Where's this going? And I, I just even read last night... Um, about this beginning to spread. So now you have these horrible things happening and it's enticing people to want to take the same drugs. I don't understand how that's possible, but it's happening. And we know that something's wrong in the world and it's not just out there, but it's in here. There's something wrong that's in us and we all want to be different, don't we, than we are. You may say, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with who I am, but I'll just bet that if you really were honest, you could say there are definitely things about you you would like to see different, right? Who would you like to be like? I mean, think of somebody famous, somebody out there, or maybe it's family. Who would you like to be like? Okay, I can't hear anybody. Now you're whispering. (laughs) Who would you like to be like? I used to want to be like Jack Nicholas because I loved golf and you know, he was the guy that I knew that was great and had set all these records. And so I was like, you know what, I, I really want to play golf like that guy. So I put a lot of work, a lot of work into becoming like that guy until I met Molly. And then I quit <laughs> because, because she was the next uh, awesome thing on the list. And it took over and consumed a, a, a different desire, a different longing that I had, something else I wanted to be like, right? I wanted to be loved and to love someone. Who do you want to be like? Who have you in the past want to be like? 
Anybody want to be like Steve Jobs, create something new, create something that everybody loves? Justin Verlander, a name that's very common to everyone in our church, I'm sure. <laughs> Justin Verlander. I have, I have weird kids, man. <laughs> who, who, who would you like to be like? Or what would you, and you don't, I don't want you to be specific like, this is what I want to be different about myself. Let's leave those to ourselves. But what are some things that we would like to see changed about us in general? Or, or the people that we would like to be like? Hold on, what? You want to be greedy? You want greed to change. You, don't, you want to see there, there be no more greed? Okay, good. Yeah, who, who doesn't want to be more loving? I, I, some days I feel like, oh, I'm really loving, and then it, you know, just take a couple more breaths, and you find out I, I can snap, right? And you know, they're throwing punches over here, this side of the room. Um, you just mention the word love, and it's like, oh! Patience. Oh, my goodness. It's just, you know, we don't really need to say much more, right? <laughs> That's going to come up in the sermon today, probably. Patience. I'd like to be more patient. Who, who would like a better job? Who would like a job, <laughs> right? <laughs> who would like a higher paying job? Who would like a bigger house? Who would like a better car? Who would like all of those things but not pay for them so you keep the money in your account and you can buy more things, you know? Wow, I did not realize how sinful the people in this room were. How many of you would just like to be a good person? I mean, just so that other people look at you and say, I'd like to be like them, you know? Wouldn't you like to be a person where somebody says, man, that's Steve, he's a, he's a great dad. He's a really loving husband. We were hanging out with some friends this past weekend, um, from the school, and my assumption after our time of having dinner together and hanging out was they think Steve really likes to be funny, and they probably don't know much about how much I love my wife. And during the time, it seemed like I wanted to be known as funny. And after it was over, I thought, you know what? I wonder if it would have been good to show how much I love my wife. And maybe the reason I didn't is because I don't love her as much as I should. Because if I did, wouldn't that be more important to me? Wouldn't that be what I focus on? Anybody want to get that honest about yourself? I don't, I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm, I don't want you to. But isn't it, isn't it true for all of us that if we really were honest about the way that we act, the things that we say, and the way we interact with other people, the way that we act in our jobs, the way that we talk about people when they're not around us, if we're all honest, wouldn't we say we'd all like to change? We'd all like to be very different than what we are? Part of the problem in the world is that there's a lot of people who think they're pretty good. Matter of fact, they think they're better than everybody else. And to be honest, that's most of us too. Where you say there are things you want to change, somehow you still think you're pretty much better than most people. It's, it's just a common struggle that we all have because sin is in the world and sin is in our hearts and though we all know the world needs to be different, we know that even we should be better, we tell these lies to ourselves. And we look in the mirror and we say something different about ourselves than what we see.
just asking these questions and thinking about the honest answers that we might give tells us there is, whether we admit it or not, something wrong with us. But what is wrong is not that merely that there are these things that we want to be, but the point of the questions is not the results. The point of the questions for you this morning, the reason I ask them is to show you that there is something true about you. It's that you want to be in control. You want to be in control of your life. And you do everything you can every day of your life to try to make it work out so that everything goes your way. And when they don't go your way, you get frustrated just like I get frustrated. You might get angry. The different personalities are going to respond in different ways, right? Okay, you might be the person who just gets really mad. Uh, Molly asked me, we were at a Little League game, and Molly asked me, have you ever seen that kid, a kid that we know, have you ever seen him angry? I was like, not once. I mean, he's the kid, like, I could punch him in the face. He'd be like, man, that was awesome. Thanks, coach. You know, he's just, he's just that kid. And Molly's like, I saw, him, I saw him angry at the other, not our game, but a different game. I, you know, he wasn't like throwing bats at kids or anything, but, it, you know, he was just, he, he was showing frustration. And so something must have really been wrong for that kid and his personality to show that frustration. How do you respond? Frustration, anger, passive aggressive stuff, where you're simply trying to speak words to always mean something, but never quite say it directly. Never quite say it directly. The questions that I've been asking are telling us something is wrong. And what is really wrong is not that you don't have the things you want. It's that you are doing everything in your power to get them because you need and want to be in control. How many of you are succeeding in being in control? Everybody doing fine? Everything you want, it's all going your way, right? Your workplace, everyone looks at you with fear. Move you up the ladder, right? <laughs> everyone gives you great respect, right? Everybody treats you like, wow, if I could just be, how are they not the employee of the month every month? Let's go, you know, I'm their picture should be up, that parking space should be yours. And by the way, I've, does anybody ever park in that parking space? We, go to, we, we were at a baseball game yesterday, there's a parking space for some family. The whole parking lot's completely full. Nobody can park anywhere except there's one space set aside for one family, and they're not at the game. But you got a parking space, put something there. I don't care if it's your RV, you know? Fill it up. That was probably not a part of the sermon. Okay. We, we fail. We don't just sometimes fail, but we constantly, consistently fail at being in control. How many of our marriages have just been just delightful? Great. Nothing, nothing ever goes wrong. No arguments, no problems. Yeah, right? Nothing ever goes over here. Uh, the, the raised hand of humor because, yeah. <laughs> That's right. She raised his hand for him. Putting, <laughs> she was putting it down is what she was doing. She was, she was like, stop it. There's no chance. The reason why we always struggle, the reason why our coworkers don't treat us that way, our bosses, our kids, our parents... The reason why is because as hard as you try, we fail because we can't control the world around us. And you can talk about Mother Nature and Father Time and Sister Christian or I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
That was more of a Keith reference than anything else there. Um, I almost brought up Kaiser Soze before, so that shows you where I was. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, uh, I, I had this revelation the other day. Uh, if Father Time and, and Mother Nature, if that's really father and mother, what do they give birth to? Father Time, Time getting, does uh, Father Time look young and spry? No, he's the old guy with the super long beard. You know, he's like tripping over it if he can even walk at all. Mother Nature, what happens to everything? It dies. All it takes is time. Mother Nature and Father Time, they can only give birth to death. What gives birth to life is God. What gives birth to life is God. God is the one who controls all things. And so as we go through these next four weeks, what we're going to be talking about are things about God that are true that you don't believe. And this is where it gets funny. This is where it gets sticky. Because I'm going to say what you don't believe, and you're going to say, no, I do believe that. And I'm telling you, you don't. And neither do I. The thing we're going to talk about today, these next four weeks are going to be uh, what others have termed the four G's. Today, it's God is great. God is great. And, and I'll say it this way. God is great so that we do not have to be in control. We say God is great. We're saying he's powerful. We're saying he is mighty. That he can do what he wants to do. Somebody said earlier that God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He can do all that he wills to do. How do we know that he can do all that he wills to do? If, if we say God is great, if that is the truth, if that is the God we do not know, which you all are wondering why I would even say that, because most of you are going, I believe God is great, right? I believe that. And I would say that too. But the problem is, is you're still trying to be in control. You're still trying to be in control. God is great. Do I believe that's true? Yes, God is great. He's powerful. He's all powerful. There is no greater power. There is no rival. There is no other God who can compete. Satan is not up there having a sword fight and they have equal skills. He is powerful above all. And yet you and I are still trying to be in control. Isn't it amazing? how true it is that God is something and we say it is true and yet we still live as if it's not. Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the Bible begins, Genesis means origins, right? The Bible begins with nothing except God and then into the nothing except God, God does what? God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to go over here and cut down some of these trees. I'm going to make it into lumber. And out of that lumber, I'm going to build a big house. God has to create the trees. And, but he can't just create the trees into nothingness. He has to create a place for the trees to go, a place for the trees to live, a place for the trees to be. And so he has to create worlds. He creates a universe. He creates something vast and enormous 
and amazing stuff that we haven't even found out yet. Stuff that there's just simply theories about. We think this is what's going on because when we look through these high-powered telescopes, we see something happening, and so we're trying to decide what we think that is, and we start to give them labels and names. And so God into nothingness, the God who has existed forever, into the nothingness speaks words, and those words create everything. There is nothing that exists other than God, and then once he speaks, everything exists that exists because he speaks it into existence. How many of you right now could speak something and bring it into existence? I'd like to see you try. Sandcastle. I see it. Anybody else? No? Just me? The truth is, is that God is so powerful that all things come into being because he is God, because he speaks them into existence, and therefore God is the ruler over all things. They are all under his lordship. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is the creator. And we find out in the New Testament that God didn't just create as just sort of this bland understanding of God, but that he is specifically known as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's this triune God, these three persons who make up this one God, and they all are in the work of creation. If we even go back to Genesis and read it, it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters, right? In John 1, it talks about Jesus as the one who is there and nothing is created apart from him. And all things are created through him. What is our creation like? This from the book You Can Change by Tim Chester. Traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second, you would encircle the earth seven times in one second and pass the moon in two seconds. At this speed, it would take you 4.3 years to reach our nearest star and 100,000 years to cross our galaxy. There are thought to be at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe. It would take 2 million light years to reach the next closest galaxy and 200 million to reach the next cluster of galaxies. And you still only just begun to explore the universe. And God created it with a word. He spoke that into existence. As a matter of fact, in, uh, I believe it's Isaiah, where it talks about God measured out the heavens by the breadth of his hand. <coughs> you remember there used to be times when we didn't, nobody, you didn't have rulers, like everybody just has a ruler. You know, now we just get out the tape measure. Now we can do things digitally and with lasers and all this stuff to measure things precisely. But there's time when, you know, you need to measure something. What do you use? If you want an inch, how do you get an inch? This is an inch or something like that, right? So you, you say you, you're counting the inches along with this length of your finger. Or they would talk about the, the, the breadth of your hand. You'd often talk, you know, about this distance. The Bible says that when God measures out the universe, he goes like this. That's how great God is. When you think about your own life and you think about your hands and what you do every day, what you do every moment, me just standing here and picking up a piece of paper is like God measuring the universe that would take us, what did I read, 20 
million year light years just to reach the next cluster of galaxies. And there are thought to be 100 billion galaxies in the universe. And of course, the science will change and we'll find out there's even more because we can only see so far. We can only guess so much. That's how great God is. That's how amazing God is. That's how powerful God is. But it's not just that. It is also when we go to a place like Ephesians, and we can go to several places, but we'll just, I'm just going to read one part of one verse in Ephesians chapter 1. That God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not only has he created all things according to him just speaking them into existence, but now he works all things. He doesn't create and then go away and say, I think I'll go on to my next project. He creates all things and then he works all things according to the counsel of his will. He takes all the things that need to happen and makes them happen. And he is so potent in all that he does that whenever God wills something to happen, it cannot and will not be thwarted ever. And yet, we don't believe God is really this great. Let's go back to the beginning of the Bible again. I'm going to just breeze through a couple of different passages in Genesis 17 and 18. Genesis 17 says, when Abram was 99 years young, no, it doesn't say that, it says years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God, what? Almighty. Almighty. He's going to prove it. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. Covenant's a promise. So God is wanting to do something in the world and he's going to take this guy and he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to make this promise to you with you. And through this promise that we make, I'm going to do something, okay? So walk before me. I need you to hear what I'm telling you to do and do the things I'm telling you to do. Walk where I'm telling you to walk. Be blameless, which means don't go intentionally running, sinning, okay, etc. And so now do this that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly, which is what the covenant is going to do. If somebody comes to you and says, I want to multiply you greatly, somebody's going to think that you're trying to do some cloning because we've all watched, you know, one of the bad Star Wars movies or something else, whatever, right? And so it says, Abram fell on his face because he's going to be multiplied. He's, he's going to have... He's, he's 99, and he is the foundation for a multitude of people. He fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Wow. How many of you have had that said to you recently? Vic, multitude of nations. From you. Let's get started. Multitude of nations. Here we go. Right? Does it sound like it? Yeah, that's probably not going to happen to you. And I don't think I'd want to be a member of one of those nations if you were. All right. <laughs> and vice versa. I get it. I get it. And I'm, I'm speaking, speaking to myself here too. Here we go. Skip forward. 
Skip forward to verse 15 in Genesis 17. And God said to Abraham, right after the passage I read you, it said he changed his name from Abram, Abram to Abraham, right? He adds the Abram to Abraham. What is How does God make man? Forms man out of the dirt, and then he does what? He breathes into man, and man begins to breathe. It's a good thing God has fresh breath. (laughs) And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall call her name, not Sarah, but Sarah, That shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. That sounds pretty good, right? Then Abraham fell on his face and, what? Laughed. This is the God of the universe. This is the creator of all things. It's the one who has come to make a covenant with you. He falls on his face because he understands the greatness of the God before him to an extent. And then when he says, this is what's going to happen between you, 99-year-old Abraham, and your old wretched wife. Abraham falls on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The God who made all things wants to give you a child and you're super duper old. And he laughs. Chapter 18, start in verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. You get what that means, right? She is not a baby-making machine. She is past that time. So Sarah did what? What does it say in verse 12? Laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? After I am worn out and my Lord is old, meaning Abraham, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? How many of you would say, yeah, there are things that are too difficult for God? We wouldn't say that, right? Not, not maybe publicly. I know people who might say that, that, you know, God is out there and it's kind of this cosmic battle or whatever, the things we talked about before. I know other religions and the way they talk about God, the way that they have certain types of beliefs. But you cannot be someone who uses the word Christian to define yourself. And trust me, there are many who define themselves as Christians who would not believe this is true. I know many of them. I was raised in a family of them. Abraham, the man who is given a name changed and what is added is the breath of God. And the same word that will be used for breath is the word for spirit. 
So when Abraham's name is changed, God's spirit has changed him. And when Sarai's name is changed, her name is changed to what? Sarah. Sarah. Spirit, breath, life. And then God not only makes the promise, sets this covenant, and he says you're going to make many nations, you're going you're to fill, you're going to be this multitude of peoples, you're going to have kings come from your loins, right? And both of them go, ha! So the Lord has to go, why would you laugh? Is anything, the way we would say it is, is anything impossible with God? Is there anything impossible with God? Abraham struggles to believe. And we could go to the New Testament and look at Mary. Mary is not worn out. She is young, right? She's a virgin. And then God comes and says, through an angel, you're going to be pregnant. You're God's kid. And she's like, wait, what? Huh? No, wait. Like, seriously? How, how is that even? I can't. I'm, 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 a, how, I'm a virgin. How did this happen? It's the same story. It's the same idea. It's not just that it's old and we're somehow past that. It continues to happen. And the reason it continues to happen is because we have a certain type of vision and we have a certain understanding of control and we think that there are things that are impossible for God. Even if you say you believe that's not true, you live as if it's true. The problem is not that you don't think God is great. The problem is you don't live God is great. The problem is not that you don't think God is great. The problem is you don't live that God is great. Uh, we were in the car yesterday driving home from uh, said baseball game and um, somebody was driving in a 35-mile-an-hour zone going 26 mile an hour. Every one of my kids could have told you how fast they were driving because the entire time I was behind them, I was telling my kids, they're only going 26 in the 35. <laughs> I could get there four seconds earlier if they would speed up, right? You know, and it is the world. You would think, I mean, my kids have got to be going, Dad is a crazy man, because, you know, and I, you, you, you can't just, like, give him space either. You've got to show him he's not driving the speed limit. And Molly's looking in the rearview mirror going, his eyes are moving down, he must be looking at his phone, and we're conspiring as to the evilness of the person not going the speed limit. Why? Why do we do that? Because we're not okay with God being God and the world around us not going our way. We need to be in control. We need to make things happen. We need to push people along. Just, just find, you'll find out how great you think God is the next time you're sitting next to your computer and you dump your coffee cup into the keyboard. How many of you are immediately going to say, God is all-powerful. <laughs> and so what, this is nothing God is all-powerful. This is nothing. Last night, our water heater went out. And Danny goes to take a shower. You know, it's like, he, he's come out of the water and he's got, he's not like a quilt. I mean, it's like an entire bed wrapped around him, right? 
do we say, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And if God wants the water heater to go out before I stand in front of a whole bunch of people, you know, and I have to wash in something that's not quite as warm as I would hope it would be. You know, I, we, we have to decide. And you, you can try to play that off and be like, oh, I'm not really saying God isn't great. Yes, you are. To believe that God is great is to have that belief so infiltrate your life that there is no place where his power is not present at every moment, at all times, in every circumstance, in every relationship. And if you truly believe that when the diagnosis does come or when your friend does have a car accident or as we heard about this week with the temples, Sarah Lynn's dad has a heart attack. Right? Got the relationship right? And passes away. Do we say God is great? Do we say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away? It is his power at work. Whether we like it or not, because we have such finite vision, the point is we want to be in control, but God is great so that we don't have to be in control. God is powerful so that you don't have to be in control. So that you can stop trying to be in control. So that you can stop saying, well, God's made this promise, but I'm not going to believe that because I've got these circumstances. God is great. He is powerful so that we don't have to be. And so the reality is God's greatness runs the show. And any power that we have is borrowed from him and is only small, finite, limited It's only for a time. And so, though we have the ability to exercise types of power, types of authority, types of, you know, um, influence in the world, it's all under him. It's all through him. There is no king sitting on a throne. There is no president sitting in an office without the power of God having allowed it, having, in a sense, ordained it to be so. It doesn't mean he wants it. It doesn't mean that it's his ideal. It means God is powerful enough that any other thing could be. And for us to act like that power somehow rests in us shows that we don't know the great God. The great example of God's greatness, of God's power, is in Jesus Christ. Turn to Mark chapter 4. If we're going to believe that God is great, and I would say believe it, I mean we don't fail to actually live as if it's so. We must saturate ourselves so much with the knowledge of his power that nothing can happen in which we respond outside of that understanding. Where that truth has so permeated our thinking that our first response is the greatness of God. It is not something we have to eventually get through after we go through our little fit. And so we fill ourselves with this knowledge. Mark chapter 4, let's start in verse 35. We read this a minute ago. Evening came, they decide to go to the other side of the lake, right? The other side of the sea. And so they get into a boat. Jesus is taking a nap. 
The big windstorm arises, and everybody starts to freak out. The boat's starting to fill up. He's asleep, and they're like, don't you care that we're perishing? We're, we're dying here, Jesus. You're sleeping, and we're dying. What do they not believe about Jesus? His power, his greatness. If Jesus is asleep, shouldn't you be able to sleep too? Shouldn't you look at him and say, if Jesus can sleep through this, what do I have to worry about? But we see the circumstances rather than Jesus. And what I'm telling you today is we've got to see Jesus, and that should color all of our circumstances. We don't see our feelings and have our feelings because of our circumstances. We see our Jesus and change our feelings because of our Jesus. And so he wakes up and rebukes the wind. <laughs> Jesus is on a cushion and, you know, boats are rocking and the winds are blowing. And, you know, he's got like these pleasant dreams happening in his head. And then everybody wakes him up because they're freaking out. And Jesus, you know, does his Jedi thing. The Jedi are just lesser Jesus, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's, you know, you try to act like you have this power and just, what's a rebuke? It's a word. It's stop. The same word that is used to create all things is the same word that God, through his son Jesus, uses to say to the wind and to the sea, stop. And it stops. So, peace, be still. There's the word. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Does Jesus not know why they're so afraid? He knows exactly why they're not so afraid. But what he asks it to them so that they have to think through what you and I are thinking through today. What do you fear? What are you not in control of that's bringing you fear? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what, who God is, what God has done? And they were filled with great fear. Now, you, you got you to see this. This is wonderful, okay? So they have fear, which makes them wake up Jesus and not get his beauty rest. And then... When he calms the sea, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And then once he has stopped the sea, what do they have? Fear. They go from fear of the sea to a fear of what? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? It is no longer the sea they are afraid of. It is the man who is standing next to them. The fear that causes them to be afraid of dying, we are perishing here, they say, is now been turned into an awe. Because the man next to them is not just a man. He is the, who said, God-man, right? He is the God-man. He is the one who has created the sea. The only one who could stop the sea is the one who makes it. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It can only be the one who creates the wind and the sea. Okay, so Jesus and the storm, right? Stops the storm. Then they came to the other side of the sea. We're going to run through this really quickly now. 
other side of the sea. Jesus steps out of the boat. Immediately there, uh, he met, <laughs> this is always fun, right? This, is, this happens to us all the time. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore. Sounds like somebody on the L.A. freeway or wherever the heck that was. Not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day he was among the tombs on the mountains, always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And there was a herd of pigs. Let's go into the pigs, is what the unclean spirits ask. You know what happens when unclean spirits go into pigs, right? They go crazy. They go down. They fling themselves, drown in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid of the man. I mean, he was, this is the guy with strength. This is the guy who can't be shackled. This is the guy when you put chains on him, he treats him like butter. But when they see the man sitting in his right mind and Jesus there, they are afraid. And those who had seen it described them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They so understood the greatness of the God-man Jesus that they begged him to leave Skip down. And when Jesus had crossed again, this is 21, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea, and came out the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, my daughter is at the point of death. And so Jesus went with him, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. There was a woman who had discharged of blood for 12 years, who had suffered under many physicians. She heard the reports about Jesus, so she came and touched his garment because she believed, even if I touch his garment, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. Okay, let's just skip forward there. So then he goes. He goes in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came the ruler's house. Some said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? He's, he's a teacher. They send him on his way. He can't come and do anything because she's now dead. Why trouble him anymore? But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the ruler of synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. They came to the house of the ruler of synagogue. Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? Why would he, why would he ask that? She's dead. What do you expect? Why does he ask that? Because there was a man that came and fell at his feet and believed that he was great. Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed. 
just amazing how God puts these things together in Scripture. The laughter comes. They go from wailing over the death of this little girl to laughing. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother who were with him, and they went in with the ch- where the child was, taking her by the hand and said, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Awe. You see, here's what happens when we get to Jesus. We see all of these things in Scripture. God the creator, God the sustainer, God the one who makes these promises to Abraham and he's going to give them many offspring and and he's going to make them have children when she's past childbearing age, when he's past childbearing age, when they're certainly past child-holding age. You know, I'm I'm almost 40 and I'm glad I don't have a baby just to hold. Like, that would just get me tired after a while. It's like, I'm glad our kids are walking on their own now and when they say, pick me up, I'm like, no, you are huge. We get to Jesus, and this is what we find out when we talk about God's greatness. His greatness, his power is found most clearly in Jesus, who proves that he is the God over nature. He calms the storm, that he is God over the supernatural, because he removes the demons from this man. We have the God over, the the great God over sickness. The woman who has the issue of blood, and we have the God over death itself. God's greatness is most clearly seen through Jesus, who proves in his life that he is great. He is the great, powerful God. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the God who became a baby, who was raised as a child, who became a man, who who learned things, was taught things like you and me, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and for three years he does this teaching and preaching, but he goes about healing and showing his power over everything we could think that you would need to have power over. Everything from creation to the supernatural, natural, everything from sickness to death. He is the God of all of these things, but he really truly shows the fullness of his power in that he goes to a cross and he dies at the hand of the very God whom he is, his own father. He dies and experiences the wrath of God that we deserve so that we would be freed from suffering at the hands of a God who is so just and so right that he has to treat sinners with justice and we would deserve his wrath. God's power is found primarily, fundamentally, at its very core in the death and resurrection of Christ. And therefore, he doesn't show his power over nature and over the, the, the practical, everyday things of life like we looked at in Mark 4 and 5, but he also shows his power over Satan and sin's consequences. He is the powerful God. 
And so my question for you is this. And this is the question you should go home asking yourself. What lie are you believing about God when it comes to his greatness? What lie about God are you currently believing? And you can ask that about any specific circumstance of your life. What lie am I believing about God? Because you are. God is great. He is powerful. We've seen it in creation. We've seen it in Jesus. We've seen it in all these different ways. Yet you will go and do something today that is based upon a lie about God that says he's not great. In the same way Adam and Eve were created and the serpent comes and he's like, did God really say? Is God really like that? Is God, you're not really going to die like he promised, are you? And that voice is still telling you, lie to yourself. Say something different about God than what God says and shows about himself. What happens today if you stop believing that lie about God and you go out actually believing and actually living the fact that he is great, that he is powerful, that he can save, that he can protect, that he can take you out of the stomach of the lions in the Colosseum and put you back together into a resurrected body forevermore? Do you believe that great God? Because if you do, you'll live very differently than you live today, and so will I. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Father, this is not unfamiliar territory to talk about these amazing works that you have done, to talk about your character, your greatness, your power, your might, your sovereignty and control over all things. It is not strange for us to talk about our desire to be in control and our, our, our need to be self-righteous and to take care of ourselves, not depend on other people or other things. And we have this great desire to control everything, but all of us ultimately know that we will fail no matter how good we are at controlling this life and, and being rich and raising a family that doesn't go and do crazy things or whatever else it is. Ultimately, the day is coming when we all will die. We are not in control. And we just need to give up trying to be in control and we don't just give it up and leave it to itself. We give it up because you are in control. You are powerful and you are great and you are our God. We are thankful for this truth. And now help us to live this way. Help us to be introspective and to remember and to think and to contemplate what it means that we are believing lies about you. As much as we might say something is true, we're not living it. And that we will battle day by day and that we can truly be changed. Thank you for these words. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.